Yesterday after prayer and right before worship rehearsal, Pastor Sam began to feel the signs of a pancreatic attack. And I don't know if you know what this man and his wife have been through. They got babies that a doctor told them they would never have. And then he gets diabetes and he gets pancreatitis and he starts to get this attack in his stomach. And he says, will you pray for me? Will you pray for me? And so myself and Mama Joy and his wife and Brianna and Megan, we surround him and we begin to pray. And after about 10 minutes, we ask him how... How are you feeling? And he says, I still feel it, but it's starting to go away. And so we pray for 10 more minutes. And I ask him again, how are you feeling? And he says, I, I, I feel like it's going away almost completely, but I still feel it a little bit. And I said, well, we're going to keep praying. And then my seven-year-old son comes up and he lays his hand on Sam's belly. And he begins to pray. And by the time we got done praying, Pastor Sam said, I am 100% better. And here he is today. We're not singing about miracles because we believe they belong to a former generation. Last thing, last thing, and I promise we'll move on. So we get in the car. And my boy says, that was the first miracle in our church. And his mom says, what, what do you mean, son? And he says that all those people prayed for one person. That was the first miracle. And then he said, while I was praying, God told me that it's going to happen, Amen. that he's going to heal Pastor Stan. And so we just sat in the car weeping. He's seven years old. I'm telling you guys, and I'm going to preach on this in a minute and, and God knows I want to get to it. But if we believe that every movement of God belongs to a former generation, if we believe that every miracle of God is only locked in the pages of our Bible, then what kind of faith are we walking in? I don't want to go through the motions anymore. I don't want to play the game. I don't, I don't want to just do church. I want to see God do what only God can do. I can't see you. It's dark. I don't need to see you. But I do want to believe that you want to go there with me. And that we actually want to see God do something in our day. So I'm going to pray. We're going to go to the Word for a minute. I'm going to try to be brief so we can get back to singing at the backside. Father God, we pray now in the name of Jesus that you would make this a house of miracles, that the word that my son spoke would be true of this place, that the first miracle was the surrounding of one by many, and that the second miracle was a total healing in his body. It will happen, says the Lord. So, Father God, whatever we are waiting for today, whatever we are believing for, whatever we are giving up hope on, would you meet us in this moment with an outpouring of your spirit? We are not enough, but just one touch from you can change everything. 
Help us to experience it together. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Listen, can we just rejoice before the Lord one more time? And if you wouldn't mind to greet somebody on your way down, that would be great too. If you're a student, you can go ahead and be dismissed to the student ministry room. Um, excited about you guys sharing the word this morning. Excited for our students and everything that the Lord is doing there. So if you're middle of high school, you are free to go at this moment. If you guys will just give me a second to collect myself. You know, my son was dead when he was born. And we received a word from my spiritual father who is here today. And he took me to Psalms and he said, the Lord has saved him from death, from the courts of death, so that he might proclaim his great wonders. And seven years later, to see my son hand extended praying for healing and faith. See, here's what I believe. I believe that if you have been rescued by the good news of the gospel, I believe that if you have come to know the kindness of Jesus, I believe that if you are marked by his name and, and you are walking in his power and by his spirit, I truly believe, I want to believe that you want to see a great move of God. I want to believe that you want to move from feeling ill-equipped or unqualified to being a transforming presence in this world. And that begins, as I said already, that begins first with casting aside any idea that all of the great works of God have already happened. No. The same seed of faith that birthed the Azusa Street Revival. The same seed of faith that birthed the revivals in India. The same seed of faith that birthed the revivals in Korea. The same seed of faith that birthed the first and second great awakening. That same seed sits in you. It may be dormant. It may be buried hiding under a mountain of things that don't matter. But the seed is there, and I, I believe deep down, I believe at your core, you want to see God do the things that we read about in the Bible. But here's our hurdle. Our hurdle is the world and the flesh and the devil. The, the enemy tells us that we'll never be able to get into the game. And the world tells us that you don't want to bother with that religious thing. And our flesh tells us that this feels better than that. And so the thing that God wants to do, it gets pushed to the side. And it leaves us, what, with a sense of apathy? 
with a sense of detachment, of disconnection from the things of God and the work of God and the voice of God. But I believe every single one of you, every single person who practices the way of Jesus should be able to participate in a great move of God in their lifetime. We should not have to read about it. We should not just hope for it. We should not just look behind us. We should be walking in the present manifestation of God's work in the world. Don't get out shouted by the first service, y'all. Now, I do understand that sense of apathy. I do. I do understand it. I can empathize because there's been countless times over the last 15 years, 15 years, that I've been in this city where I felt like I was running into a wall over and over and over and over and over again. And, and eventually I was like, well, okay, God, well, if you're not going to do it, then I'm done trying. I can empathize with that, with that feeling of helplessness. But then God gave me a clear picture. He did. He did. In fact, it was during all of the activity that was happening with Asbury and Lee University and all of the other revivals that were happening all over the place. And, and I remember coming in here on a Saturday morning and I knelt down right here, right at the center, and I began to beat on the stage because I was bitter and I was frustrated. Can I just be honest? I was bitter and I was frustrated and I told my wife, this has been hard ground for a long time. And I was asking the Lord, why there? Why not here? There they are turning away people and there's lines out the door and they've set up time slots for how long you can be in this small auditorium and now they're not even allowing adults to come in. Lord God, what do we have to do to experience something like that? And I felt defeated. I was looking at a room, eight or nine people here, faithful people here every Saturday to pray. And that's when I had a revelation. You see, the Lord said to me that a movement of God is not predicated on special people with special training or a special moment in time. Can I say that again? It's not predicated on special people with special training in a special moment in time that a true move of God only requires a spirit-driven commitment to the normative practices of Christian life. That's it. We keep waiting for the camp experience. And God says, you don't need that. When we read Acts 2.42, which we're going through the book of Acts in January, and I don't know how long we'll be there until we're done. And you read every ecstatic experience was either preceded by or followed by. They gathered together at homes and in the temple. They committed themselves to the breaking of bread and the apostles' teaching, and they shared all things in common. And 3,000 were added in a day. 5,000 were added in a day. The Holy Spirit fell and shook the house. It wasn't anything spectacular. It was people who say they believed something actually walking in that belief. 
That is the substance of a movement of God. Can I get a good amen? amen. Don't make me preach angry. I'm fresh off of a break. I was walking through the Redwoods, trolley line. Well, a man my size, when you see a tree that you can step into, you got to try a lot. It's magnificent. I did frolic. I had a latte in my hand as I frolicked. Pumpkin spice. Movement of God, family. A movement of God is showing up on Sunday early and expecting. A movement of God is setting yourself in a community where you can be challenged and changed, loved and seen. A move of God is giving to the kingdom before you give to yourself. A move of God is a vibrant and alive faith that is not afraid to share with someone else. That's all it is. And as I pled with the Lord there on my knees and I asked, what will it take? The basics. Just be Christians. And then he told me three specific things, and I'll share them with you, and I'll be out your way. And I hope that you'll be challenged by this today and that it would actually be transformative for your heart. He said, if you want to see a movement of God, Lance, the first thing you have to tell my people is that they, they need to be hungry. They need to be hungry. They need to be hung. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. They need to be hungry for the things of God. And here is my fear. My fear is that we have so striven to satiate ourselves with the junk of the world that the things of God don't taste good anymore. Yeah. Our taste buds have changed. But he said, if you want to see me move, you got to be hungry for me, not complacent, hungry for me. And he took me to Psalm 63. Hear the words of David, oh God, you are my God, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my, listen, charismatics didn't invent this. I will lift up my hands and call on your name. It's the earliest and oldest sign of submission. I will lift up my hands and call on your name. My soul is satisfied as with a rich feast and my mouth praises you with joyful lips. David is running from Saul at this time. He's actually in a dry and weary place. And as he is there, he is envisioning himself of all places in the place of worship. He's not envisioning himself on a golf course or a vacation. 
He's envisioning himself. Hey, and that's not wrong. I have a terrible golf game. If you want to feel good about yourself and beat somebody, pick me. The point is that he's not envisioning himself in some detached activity. He is envisioning himself in the presence of the living God. And what does he say? He says, I thirst for you. I thirst for you. I seek you. I thirst for you. And I seek you. My flesh faints for you. What David is describing, write it down, what he's describing is desperation. He's describing a thirst that requires a particular type of quenching. Many of us don't know what it means to be thirsty. Not in the colloquial sense. Many of us know exactly what that means. We don't know what it means to be slow burn. We we don't know what it means to truly be thirsty. Years ago, Oklahoma University. I'm I'm talking about actual thirst. I, I was between sports. I was between wrestling and football and off-season workouts were starting for football. And I showed up a day late because I didn't know because I was in the middle of the wrestling season. And we had this strength coach. His name was Smitty. He was crazy. And, and he was so crazy that there was a saying, like, if once you Smitty built, you built for life. Like, people fell out of moving trucks, got up, walked away, jumped off of buildings, no problem. Once you were Smitty built, you were built. He was crazy. And I walk into the uh, strength and conditioning room, and he says, wrestler. He ain't even called me by my name. I'm like, I'm a whole person. (laughs) Wrestler, you're late. I said, I didn't know, coach. And he said, your I don't know is not my problem. Get on the Stairmaster. One hour. 59 minutes and 58 or so seconds. I hop off of the Stairmaster because I want to get somewhat cleaned up before I go to class. Well, see, I didn't know this. If you hire a trainer, just know that they can get on the machine and be like, beep, boop, boop, and see exactly how long you stayed on the machine. And he said, I want my two seconds, Crump. Come back after class. You got another hour. About 30, 35 minutes into this, my legs locked up. I literally fell off the Stairmaster. He comes and he stands over me. And he goes, you think you're going to die on my watch? Listen, kids today, y'all too soft for that kind of behavior. Y'all too soft. I can't believe he yelled at me. That's all I knew. He said, go sit in that corner until you're ready to get back up there. Can I have a drink? No. I get back on the Stairmaster for another hour. And by the time I finish, the salt is literally crystallizing on my skin. And my mouth is dry and cottony and sticking together to the point like where you can't even spit. Have you ever been that thirsty? That's what David is describing here. That my my soul is dry, it's cottony, it's, it's, it's brittle. And the only thing that is going to satisfy me, the only thing that is going to quench my thirst, the only thing that is going to revive me, strengthen me, help me, 
care for me, carry me. The only thing that will work is if I get in your presence. So I seek you. I seek you. Are you seeking the Lord? Do you actually seek the Lord? Do you seek the things of God? He says, I seek you, and when I seek you, I find you, and my soul is satisfied as with a rich feast. What is he saying? That my hunger is satiated in your presence. But we got to have a taste for the things of God. And as I said at the beginning, I, I, I fear, not I fear, I know. It was so full from junk that Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. If the opening song on your playlist every single morning is knuck if you buck, you wonder why you're angry? And I'm not judging. I was in the gym shrugging, listening to DMX, barking at people. Ah, ah. You know, like, it's a great way to start a gospel conversation. So how did you guys meet? Well, he barked at me, and then he said, come to church. But I'm serious. Whatever you ingest, that is what shapes your soul. Amen. Just like what we ingest shapes our body. Whatever you ingest, that's what shapes your taste buds. In fact, we fasted sugar at the top of the year for about three weeks. Um, I think my wife read in a magazine somewhere how to break your husband in 21 days. <laughs> I got a sugar problem. I do. I do. And when me and Pastor slide together with Jesse and Brianna, it's like a prison system. Like I slide him cakes and he slides me Twizzlers and we hide from our wives. <laughs> I have a sugar problem. And she was like, we need to fast sugar. And I was like, I don't want to do it. And she said, well, that tells me that that's the thing you need to do. And I said, silence in the church. Woman, get thee behind me. But we did it. We did it. We fasted sugar. Can I tell you something crazy? At the end of that fast, I bit into a strawberry and it was too sweet. It literally hit me like, oh. I tasted the sweetness of a cucumber. I tasted the sweetness of a bell pepper. I cut into a Campari tomato and thought I was going to die. The rush of flavors. Why? Because I had starved my body of the crap. I had starved my body of the artificial sweetener. So then the real thing tasted how it's supposed. Are you with me today? It tasted how it was supposed to taste. Some of us need a little starvation protocol on some things of the world so that the things of God will taste good again. You want to see a movement of God. Starve yourself of this host culture. Starve yourself of the ways of this world. Starve yourself of gossip and slander and envy and comparison. Starve yourself of those things and invite God to satisfy you. Get in his word. Get in community. Worship with passion. Show up for prayer and watch your faith grow. Our faith feels stagnant and stanky because it's not flowing. 
a veritable dam. Getting dumped into, dumped into, dumped into, dumped into, but nothing's ever going out. If you want your faith to come alive, family, you got to be hungry for the things of God and you've got to pursue the things of God. Number two, be humble. Be humble. Peter, not Kendrick. Peter got there first. Sit down. I'm serious. He literally said, sit down. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Sit down. Be humble. Peter's writing to the exiled church and he says, in the same way you who are younger accept the authority of the elders. Do I need? All right. And all of you must clothe yourselves with humility in your dealings with one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I don't want to be opposed by God. I don't want to be opposed by the creator of the universe. That's just not a fight that I want. But we choose violence every day. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that who he may exalt you. There's not a person on this planet that holds your destiny in their hands. So that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Okay, let's get this straight first. Clinical anxiety is not general anxiety. Clinical anxiety is a condition that must be met with medicine and other means. General anxiety is the fruit of you trying to stand on your own too at all times. General anxiety is the fruit of self-dependence and the fruit of self-focus. General anxiety is the fruit of trying to keep yourself in control while knowing very well that you are not. And that's the anxiety that most of us deal with. The worry. Why? Because we're trying to manipulate, we're trying to control, we're trying to shape, we're trying to form, we're trying to move. Well, if I just move this here and move that there and do this thing, and do, then everything will work out. And then when it doesn't, We get anxious. And so what Peter is inviting us to do, if you'll work backwards with me, he says, cast all your cares on him, your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. In fact, the way that you do that is to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. You know, my son, I won't be able to do this forever because I'm pretty sure he's going to be bigger than me. I mean, seriously, he, that's, he's the only reason I work out. Um, but there are times that I put my hand right on top of his head, especially when he kind of, when he's doing too much. I'm like, come here, son. And I feel all the anxiety flood from his body. Now you're thinking to yourself, well, if somebody gripped up the top of my head, I would have the opposite reaction. But here's the thing. He knows that if I squeeze that dome, I could cause some, some pain. But he also knows that I'm a loving father. And that when my hand hits the top of his head, it is not to harm him, it's to help him. And he finds safety and comfort. He feels the power of my hand, but he feels the comfort of my fathering. And this is what God is saying to us. Put yourself under my hand. Oh, I know you will feel the power of it. 
but also feel the comfort of it. Also feel the ease of your anxiety because guess what? You know dad's got it. <coughs> humble yourselves. And when we're humble before God, guess what? That will automatically produce a humility between one another which is the fruit, again, of a movement of God. God is not going to breathe on division. He's not. Do you know how many verses there are in the New Testament and the Old Testament about unity? Why? Because we can't move together if we're pulling in separate directions. And so we've got to be humble with one another. We've got to be slow to anger and quick to forgive. We've got to not hold on to stuff and allow it to turn into bitterness. We've got to actually confront people and allow them to repent. That is the fruit of the gospel. And that is a true display of humility. When we become humble and hungry people, we will certainly see God move. But not without not without becoming holy people. Not without being holy people. Let that baby shout. It's the best talking I heard all day. Holy. 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 Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourselves. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring when he is revealed. Like obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Don't stay ignorant. Instead, instead, as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. My wife brought this to my attention couple of weeks ago. Do you know how whales die? Anybody? They drown. And you're thinking to yourself, how you spend your whole life in water and then drown? Whoever laughed, God gonna punish you. <laughs> Actually, I don't know. I do so much dirt and I'm still here, so you'll probably be okay. But that was the first thought I had is, how do you spend your entire life in water and then drown? How's that possible? Can I tell you? It's because they're mammals. They're in the water, but they're not of it. They're in the water, but they're not of the water. It's not their natural habitat. They're in the water, but they're not out of the water. And so if they spend too much time swimming around beneath the surface, they drown and they die. And I was thinking about that analogous to holiness. And it's a perfect illustration. See, the Bible says that we are in the world but we are not of the world. We're just passing through on our way to our eternal home. 
Strangers is one word that is used in the Bible. Aliens is another word that is used in the Bible. Ambassadors is another word that is used in the Bible. All of those words point to one thing. You are a citizen of somewhere else navigating the place you are until you get back to somewhere else. And so if you allow yourself to forget your citizenship and start to behave like the place you are, eventually... You're going to drown. Your faith is going to drown. I don't feel God speak no more. We'll get off of social media and listen. I don't feel God speak anymore. Well, maybe you need to change some of your viewing choices. Your language choices. Your music choices. How different would it be, speaking of the things of God, how different would it be if we'd started every single day? Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Who's going to hit that low note? There's always that one old deacon, he was going to hit it every time. You see, when you put yourself in that posture where your life is lived to bless the Lord, it changes your choices. It changes how you speak to your spouse. It changes how you manage your children. It changes how you deal with your coworkers, even the unlikable ones. It changes how you participate in community. And the church ceases to be a convenient addendum to a life you've already figured out. And it actually becomes the center of your reality because you are a Christian. Holiness. And I'm not talking about works righteousness. I know we're grace people, but listen, we get grace messed up. Grace is not a hall pass. Grace is a context that allows you to work out your faith and your salvation with fear and trembling without being judged. Grace is the boundary of your floundering so that God gives you space to grow into Christ's likeness. It is not a hall pass to get as close to the line of sin as possible and then go, ooh, too hot, too hot. If we're not holy people, we're not going to see God move. We're not going to see God move. Without holiness, that's what he told me right here. He said, you got to be hungry and you got to be humble. You got to be dependent people. Stop trying to be independent, be interdependent on each other and totally dependent on God. He says, humble yourself. be holy. You know what the word holy means? It means set apart. It means different. There should be an aroma of Christ. I'm not pulling this stuff out of the air. It is in your Bible. There should be an aroma of Christ that follows you around where people don't even know. They just know. She different, different. 
He's different. What is it about? I don't know. He's just, he doesn't get caught up in the office politics. He doesn't get caught up in the water cooler gossip. He doesn't badmouth the boss. He just, he's always building up other people. He doesn't take credit where he should take credit. He always gives away credit when somebody else, he's just a different kind of cat. She's a different kind of leader. That's what holiness looks like. It is a separation. It is a distinction. It is a distinctiveness from the culture around us. So that our boundaries and our identity and our personhood is not defined by the latest trend. It is defined by who Christ is. Be hungry. Be humble. Be holy. If we do this, we will see a move of God. Now, if you're just stirred just a little right now, and I hope you are, then maybe you're asking the question, what do I do then, Pastor? What do I do? What do I do today? Remember what I said at the top of our time? Just practice the normative way of Jesus. (laughs) Be faithful church members. Be great neighbors. Build life-giving community. Speak life and build people up. Pray first. Can we pray first? I mean, I said it a couple months ago. I'm going to say, can we just pray first? I mean, get you a counselor, get you a friend, get you a diary. Pray first. Maybe, just maybe the king of glory has some input that might serve you. Come to Saturday morning prayer. I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm telling you what it is. You want to see God move? Come and pray with the people of God. Open up your Bible. Every time the Holy Spirit did big things, it wasn't because somebody was alone in their own little prayer closet. Peter was alone having his quiet time in the spirit. No. No, Acts chapter 2, they were together in the house. Acts chapter 4, they were together in the house. You keep reading. Oh, they're together in the house. And God moves in power. Be here for prayer. If it matters to you, if a movement of God matters to you, it's going to start in prayer and worship. What do we do, Pastor? Practice the way of Jesus. That's it. The normative way of Jesus. We don't need an ecstatic experience, although that may come. And we don't need no special circumstances, although those may come. And we don't need a special moment, although God might give us one. We just need to be Christians. The Spirit of God will do the rest. If you're willing to do that, we will see a move of God. And for those of us who are not Christians, when I say move of God, let me define that for you. What I mean by that is we will see God do things that cannot be explained by intellect or emotion in people's bodies, in their minds, and in their lives. If we're willing to do this, we'll see a move of God. And if we're not, well, then we'll maintain the status quo. And we'll have a nice church that does nice things for a nice time until the nice pastor retires. I'm not signing up for that.